Dave Rubin, political commentator, comedian, YouTube personality, creator, host of the Rubin Report, right here on Blaze TV and YouTube, and now author. The book titled Don't Burn This Book, Thinking of Yourself in the Age of Unreason. Dave Rubin, living his American dream. Hello, Dave. How in the world are you? I have the uh, the question that has to be asked. It's now a law. I don't know if you know this or not, but everyone has to ask and answer. So how are you holding up during the pandemic? <laughs> Jeff, it's good to be with you. You know, I was a little ahead on this home studio thing, right? Everybody's home now, locked down, and CNN hosts are in their kitchens, and Fox News hosts are in their basement, and yeah. you know, Blaze TV guys are doing it from wherever we can, and we're all doing this sort of thing. So I like to think that my life sort of lined up properly. That you know, I'm operating at a pretty high level right now. You know, we can we can do whatever we want. You know, it, it's a bit of a pain in the butt that you know. I don't have any of my staff coming to my house anymore, so my guys are directing remotely and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, we sort of, it was an accident, obviously. I wasn't expecting a pandemic like right. this, but we've, we're have we pretty good over here. You know, we're well-stocked. Good. I got, I got a tall fence in front of my house and plenty of cameras, and we got a new uh, rescue dog that's uh, guarding the fort. And look, <laughs> look, th th there's a, look, there's a lot of terrible things happening right now and the amount yeah. of people that are unemployed and, and what's happening with the economy mostly on, on top of the people that are physically sick, obviously. Um, but everything being equal, I, I have no complaints. And, you know, what I'm trying to do, I think it's what I've always tried to do, but what I'm trying to do a little bit more right now is just provide a little bit of space for a little extra sanity to sneak into the system. Because That'd be nice. Because we could use it. I think we yeah, could use that, it. Yeah, that'd be nice. Although it's, there's a difference, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, being ahead of the curve. That was because you could uh, and you had that choice of, you know, those days of saying, you know, I really don't want to be around people. I'm just going to walk <laughs> over to the, I'm going to walk over to the blinds and look out and decide, you know what, not today. Uh, now it's not a choice. It's a must. Yeah. And that is a big difference. After, after two or three weeks, you're like, man, I, I'd like to go somewhere. Need to get well, out well, one get of the things, out. yeah. Well, one of the things that I've been trying to do is I've been trying to tease out to people some of the techniques that I've found because since I work from home and since my home yeah. is my office, where where usually staff comes here and works from here, and you know when we bring in guests normally, you know one of the bedrooms is the green room and one of our bedrooms is the control room, and we we treat these rooms like offices. Sure. And I've found, <clears throat> excuse me, I've found that. Um, there are little things you can do when you work from home to make things a little more professional. So, for example, you know, although I've gone on Fox in in a bathing suit in the last couple of weeks on the Greg Gutfeld show, you know, dressing up, you know, get getting up in the morning and actually like combing your hair and taking a shower, yes. having a glass of water, just start the day right instead of just sort of, you know, half-assing it, doing work from your bed, not no. getting up, you know, lounging around in your pajamas all day. I know this sort of stuff sounds kind of simple and obvious, but I think for a lot of people that, you know, imagine if you're a guy yeah, or a guy or a gal that's, yeah. you know, you've worked for 20 years where, where you've had a commute either by car or train, whatever it is, you've gone to an office, had to dress a certain way. Suddenly you're a month in and yeah. all of the habits that you've um, created, all of the habits, not even that you created, all the habits oh, that were thrust there. upon you yeah. Yeah, by life uh, are suddenly changed. You know, I could see people really losing control of some of their day-to-day -day stuff. So, 100%. Because so I've been they're trying used to tease to, out some of the tips. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, during that time, during the time, as long as we're heading down, I mean, we've, I've, 
kind of done the same thing down that down that same road. We some of the time that you spent home, uh, those years that you commuted and went to work and went to the office every day when you were home, those were the days that clothing was optional. Yeah, and you could be that way. And so now it's it's a whole different thing, man. It's it's all time management. It's a it's a whole different ball game if you haven't done it before. That's for sure. Yeah. So you've got the book out now. Uh, I know you. Everybody's, uh, I'm sure, has asked you whether you're going to uh, keep the chewed up book that came, the original, <laughs> the first book that came to the house that the dog chewed up. I mean, that's the master copy now, right? I mean, it has to be. I mean, you cannot make this up. I title the book "Don't Burn This Book," <laughs> and then the dog chews the first freaking copy. I mean, literally. The first copy, obviously, you saw the video that I tweeted out, right. but we got a couple boxes of our the books. I mean, this is every author's dream is that moment when you get to, you know, take the scissor, take yeah. the knife and open up that first box and see those first copies. And literally, I mean, absolutely, truthfully, literally, the dog ate the corner of the box and and ate off of the corner of the first book so we are gonna we're gonna auction it for charity and all of the money will go to the animal rescue place it's called animal hope and wellness is where i got clyde and they had just saved him he was about to be put down that day he was found on the street about to be put down they saved him we got him within an hour of of being there he had only been at the that shelter even for less than an hour actually um so we're going to donate a hundred percent of the proceeds and someone will have quite literally the first copy of what i should have entitled don't chew this book yeah, no kidding. That's great. So as I was going through the book, what I like to do, maybe we'll just go, it's pretty self-explanatory actually with uh, the chapters in your book, but I just, uh, I'm going to go down the chapters in your book and, sure. and uh, give you, just, uh, give me the first, you know, bullet point thought that great. comes to your head as we were going through the book. Uh, the, uh, the new book, Dave Rubin's uh, book, don't burn this book, uh, thinking of yourself in the age of unreason chapter one, it's time to come out. Yeah. Well, real quick. I mean, this is what everyone's dealing with right now. You know, we think of the closet as if it has something to do with exclusively with sexuality or something like that. But you can be in the closet because of your thoughts. If you're walking around, especially in America right now, in the freest country in the history of the world, if you're walking around and you're afraid to say to people, I'm for states' rights or I'm for low taxes or, ooh, I might have a subscription to The Blaze or I watch Fox <laughs> TV or something like that. If yeah. you're afraid to say what you think, it is on you now more than ever to come out of the political closet. The people that are trying to silence us have no problem doing it. And, and the more that we offer them silence, the more we give them space to expand bad ideas. And we need more people to speak up. And, you know, that walks us into chapters two and three, right? Embrace your wake up call and think freely or die. Uh, yeah, well, embrace right your wake up that. call. Yeah, embrace your wake up call. I mean, it's like it's not that you just have to start saying what you think. You have to boldly do it. Once once you say this is who I am, these are my thoughts and hopefully learn a little bit about why yeah. you think these things. Don't just get out there and start screaming your head off without knowing what you're saying. But in, I mean, truly embrace it. Understand that this is you. It's your life. You have a right to your thoughts, and and you better you better go ahead and move no on. No kidding. Yeah. And, uh, and, chapter three. What was yeah, chapter the, three again? The, the think freely and die. Oh, think freely, think freely or freely die. Or die. Yeah. Well, basically, the idea here is break out of the factory settings. You know, we're, if you grow up in America, 
with a sort of public education or through the media or through movies and culture and everything else, we have these sort of factory settings. You know, it's sort of like Democrats, good, Republicans, evil, yeah. liberals, nice, conservatives, mean. Uh, if you're a lefty, you care about poor people. If you're a righty, you care about rich people. You got to break out of those things. And that's what I mean about think freely or die, because otherwise you you will die because the the bad ideas will just keep spreading and you will not be free as a human being. Well, it's interesting that you talk about, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, embracing your wake up call instead of getting out there. I mean, you got to know what you believe, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you have to know. You can't just get out there, as you said, and start yelling from the, you know, at the top of your lungs. If, I mean, you can, but well, if you, you don't know you what can, the hell you're talking about, it doesn't do. matter. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Number four, don't worry, you're not a Nazi. I don't know that I'm absolutely positive about that, but you go ahead and tell me why I'm not. <laughs> well, I know for sure this is going to be the, when I, when I get all the bad reviews in the New York Times and everything else, this right. is going to be the one where they're going to see, see, he even had to tell his Nazi audience that they're not Nazis. <laughs> I mean, the, the idea here, of course, is that these, these ridiculous, over-the-top, awful labels that have been so used and abused only and exclusively to silence people that we really need to get people to a point where if if you say something, and I'm not talking about something truly hateful and bigoted and prejudiced, I'm talking if you just say something that's outside of the woke accepted narrative, mm -hmm. and you're what's going to happen is you will be called a Nazi, you will be called Absolutely. Hitler, you will be called a fascist. We've All seen that in action. I mean, we literally have seen that in action. I mean. Everyone at The Blaze has seen this one yes. time or another, and I would venture to say not not only everyone on camera or on air at The Blaze, but probably everyone yeah. that listens to The Blaze has dealt with their own version of this. So the idea here is that when you allow people to silence you with these words, you're just empowering them. So you really have to just stand up. I mean, these things get thrown at me so often now that now it went from a, a long time where it, where it sort of hurt and it stung and I don't like seeing it in print and any of that, where now it actually seems funny and ridiculous to me. And I think that getting, turning that, you know what I mean? Getting over that hump uh, is is really empowering. Yeah, well, if it, you're at, you're at, you obviously, and uh, you know, many people at, uh, you know, surrounding the blaze are at a point where that is almost a badge of, really, that's all you got? That's yeah, where you're that's going? That's all you got. You got nothing else, which is not, you know, which is nothing. Uh, next one, uh, check your facts, not your privilege. Uh, I mean, that leads us into, you know, yelling from the mountaintops, at least know a little bit of what you're talking about. Right. That That's exactly it. That, of course, as we talked about a moment ago, you can just get up there and scream whatever you want. I mean, you can do it. I do believe sure. in the First Amendment, right? You can go ahead and do it. But I think one of the things that's very important is we've been sort of sold this meme that, you know, if you're white or Christian or a male or some combination of those three, which is the worst thing on earth, that you right. shouldn't be allowed Oof. to say things because of your privilege. But the whole point of this chapter is, no, let's know what we're talking about when it comes to race. Let's know what we're talking about when it comes to guns. Let's know what we're talking about when it comes to any of these issues. So what you'll realize is the facts are the facts, regardless of Doesn't what matter. your skin color is or your gender. Uh, never surrender to the mob. I mean, clearly that's uh, that almost should just be, you know, in every chapter. Just yeah. never, never surrender. That that's sort of the through line to the book, because what you yeah. realize over time and, you know, I've interviewed enough people that have stood up to the mob, whether it's Jordan Peterson or Brett Weinstein or James Damore, Lindsay Shepard, the list goes on and on, is that it sucks like getting mobbed and, uh, you know, attacked online and having people call your employer or your, 
you, you know, find out where you live, all of these awful things, it all sucks. But what I have found is that every single person without exclusion who has gone through this, when you come out on the other side, you are stronger. And the only way you can do it is if you stand up to them. The apology never works. Never, give- it never works. I don't understand the philosophy behind thinking it's going to. Well, because, you know, in a, in a normal society or in, in a way that we might behave as, as human beings, an apology oh, should work. That's right? true. I'm that's sorry. I didn't mean it. I won't. I'll try not to let it happen again. Okay. That's how it would work in your life, right? If yeah. a friend wronged you and right. then apologized to you, of course you would offer grace. But the difference right now with the way the mob operates and, and with the way more broadly the left operates is that wokeism, this idea of the oppression Olympics, this idea of identity politics being the, the pentultimate of everything – there is no, there's no redemption narrative. So when you offer them an apology, what that means is not that you're somehow going to be on equal footing with them and there's going to be grace. What it means is they can now step on you forever because they know they've got you. So I've seen this with a million celebrities that apologize for things that they shouldn't apologize for. Mar- Mario Lopez is the best example of this. He was on the Candace oh, Owens show, yes. remember? And he yes. said that three-year-olds shouldn't be allowed to select their own gender How dare he? How dare he? Everyone in their right mind knows is true. That doesn't mean you're (laughs) anti-trans. And of course, he issues an apology. He issues an apology. And and then it's like, you know what? They got you forever, buddy. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, we're talking to uh, Dave Rubin uh, about his new book, uh, Don't Burn This Book. And we're just kind of breaking down each chapter a little bit quickly, uh, as I like to do here on Chewing the Fat with just some bullet points. Number seven is stop hating straight white men, America, and Western values. Well, I mean, that almost leads into the apologies, right? I mean, if you yeah. have to, uh, if you're a straight white guy in America, sorry. I didn't yeah, know. well, this this ridiculous and, and actually offensive narrative that straight white men and Christians and, and that, and that, and Americans broadly are, are the thing that is spreading hate throughout the world. I mean, not only has oh, yeah. America offered more freedoms to more people from every corner of the world than any country in the history of the world, but in many cases, it's straight white men who built America, not because they were straight or white or even men, but it's a function of it. You know, we talk about guys that were digging coal mines. They weren't doing it in the name of whiteness or heterosexuality. <laughs> Are you or, sure? Or, <laughs> Are you sure? Um, well, I guess it is a very manly thing to do okay. down there. Um, but, but, that's the point is that these are ridiculous, ridiculous narratives. And, and it really does show the, the flaw of collectivism. If you walk around as, as so many lefties do, unfortunately, thinking that straight white men are the problem. Well, what are you saying? Are you saying that a child that is born, that happens to be born straight, white and male, are you saying that child is born guilty? I mean, that's actually a religious notion from the same people that despise religion. But again, there's no redemption narrative. So is this child, should this child just bow for the rest of his life? I mean, sadly, they're- Yeah, and apologize and feel sorry if that's what they want. Yeah, absolutely. They they in parentheses, of course. But uh, number eight, uh, learn how to spot fake news. That's actually, uh, that takes a little bit of work. I mean, we, I mean, I I know, you know, we're kind of used to it. And you you get an idea and you read something and you go, that's not right. Yeah, well- you're 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 right. It takes work, and that's the that's the unfortunate part of it because there is so much fake news. There is so much manipulation by the media. There are so many ways you can cut a clip to make it sound like Trump oh, said man. something he didn't, or or that any politician did, or that anyone, any member of the media, or any private person. 
And what I lay out in this chapter is that not only is it on you to be a discerning uh, consumer of news, but you have to think about fake news in ways that you wouldn't think about it. So one version of fake news, I lay out several versions of fake news, but one that people don't think about is that there is a version of fake news that is actually the things that the media won't talk about. Oh yeah, they just just dismiss this, that doesn't exist. So, for example, a great a great one on this would be that there have been sexual uh, assault allegations against Biden for quite some time. There's been all these videos of him with the little girls and all this weird stuff, right? The New oh, York yeah. Times, the New York Times, just in the last couple of weeks, they finally touched it because they couldn't yeah, they avoid they it anymore. But what, yeah. but what did they do? They put it on the last page. I think it was page 23 or page 24 of the front section where where imagine what they would have done or forget what they would have done. What, imagine what, what they, they did, did to Brett Kavanaugh, yeah. who just had allegations, just as Biden does. And it's like even on their op ed pages, this woman, Michelle Goldberg, wrote this huge defense of Joe Biden, how we have to be you know, careful with accusations. But then you can find the exact same exact reverse thing that she said in the in the Brett Kavanaugh time. And so, I will say that that article uh, that The New York Times, you know, so proudly boasts is what we wrote about uh, Joe Biden and his uh, you know misconducts. That same article spent quite a bit of time talking about Donald Trump, which has nothing oh. to do, nothing to do with the Joe Biden story. And that right there, you're right, because there were several paragraphs in the middle where they go on about accusations about Trump, which have nothing to do with nothing. But right there, that is a type of fake news. So it's like we bury the lead, right? We bury the story. And then once you even get to the story, we're going to confuse you because you're going to be reading it. And suddenly you're angry at Trump again, which is their real goal, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, then we get into uh, uh, nine and 10 as we're wrapping up. uh, the new book, Don't Burn This Book, from uh, Dave Rubin. Find a mentor. Uh, how important do you, I mean, that's, uh, obviously you put it in the book, so you feel like that's uh, that's really strong importance. Yeah, you know, this one was almost like an accidental thing for me in a way. You know, I, I toured with Jordan Peterson for a year and a half, which as I talk about in the book, it, it was a complete lark that it even happened. I happened to be interviewing him here one afternoon when he was doing his first ever theater show that night in LA. And I, and I really, as a joke, I said, hey, if you want me to open up for you tonight, you know, let's do it. And I really was just kidding. And he immediately turned to me. He said, yes, let's do it. And I went out there. It was, you know, 3,000 people at the Orpheum. And I cracked a couple jokes about lobsters and some of the other funny Jordan Peterson references. And within a minute, the CAA agency guys were there. They were like, we're going on tour. We want you to open for them. And, <laughs> and it all came together. But but what really happened with Jordan, it wasn't like we we sort of sat down and it was like, oh, you know, you're Obi-Wan and I'm Luke or something like that. Right. It was really, it was really that from spending a year and a half of this intellectual powerhouse traveling the world, seeing him operate in truth, seeing him fix all of these people's lives and, and behave in a way that was congruent with his book, with those 12 rules, that really rubbed off on me. So when I say find a mentor, sometimes it's kind of accidental too. And, and I just think it's important, you know, you need people to map something for you to move forward, right? None of us can figure out everything about the world just on our own volition, just on our own whim. You need people that have, that have accomplished something so that you can look at them and go, whoa, can I do something like that? Or, you know, sometimes what you'll find is somebody's doing something wrong and you'll go, well, I don't want to do it that way. But what I consistently found was this is, this was a guy who, who was living the words that he was speaking. And I think being around that uh, had an indelible effect on me. And that moves on, you know, the chapter 10 with move on, uh, move on with your life. And how, 
I, you know, really without uh, knowing where you're going, I don't know how people do it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, well, that's part of it, right? So have, find something that gives you purpose, find something that gives you some joy and pursue it for sure. But the purpose of chapter 10 really was for the people that are sort of permanently political. and, And this is what's happening to everybody these days, right? Like us, right? Like people like us and so many of the people that we work with. We're all these political beasts. We love the political fight. We love the intellectual fight, the philosophical fight, all of these things. But I think what's happening is politics is leaking into everything, right? So the NFL, if you watch an NFL game, you know, with the Kaepernick stuff, that's leaked into everything. You watch an NBA game and because of China and what Daryl Morey said, and then, you know, everything has now, sports are affected by it. Video games are affected by it. As we've watched politics leak into everything, I think something very dangerous is happening because although I don't believe in safe spaces in the traditional sense, we need, I would say, escape spaces. We need places where we cannot be political, where we can just be people and we can put some of this stuff down. So what I try to offer people is a couple tips on how to ease up on social media, take some breaks from these things. And really, the, you know, the end of the book, I'm telling people, I hope I've given you something here, but, but put this down and figure out what you want to do in your life. And, and even, if the, even if the policies uh, that you come to are different than mine, and you know, when, when I sit down with Glenn yeah. and talk about the book in the next couple of days, we've already agreed that the only thing we're going to discuss are the things we disagree on. Um, and it, because the point is, it doesn't matter. What I know is that you, Jeff, Glenn Beck, myself, we all want to live in the same country. And it's not, it's not, <laughs> yes. it's not despite our differences. It's because of our differences. Yeah, we absolutely. believe in freedom and liberty. And and 100%. that's what I want people to understand. hundred percent. You know, I took, uh, uh, well, I want to ask you a couple more things here before uh, I let you go. And yep. I, I took some notes and I can only make out a couple of them. I can't read my own. <laughs> And I didn't write down the pages, so we'll just stick with that. Uh, the That's one that of my tips: read, is write legibly, so you know what you're doing. <laughs> well, uh, the first, uh, the first thing that uh, jumped out was I uh, can't hide after reading this book. Uh, you know how important that is uh, to you. Once uh, people read the book, is to put it down and get out. Right? I mean, you you made that to the forefront of the book. Yeah, get get out of this stuff too. You know, I think one of the reasons that so many people think or feel sort of bad about politics. Like if you look on Twitter all day, all these people that tweet about politics all day, they actually seem quite depressed and there's a reason for that. Or they seem quite miserable. And the reason is if your salvation is coming through politics, nothing good will ever happen because politics is a sort of, is an unfortunate broken game that we need at some level to keep some piece of a cohesive society together, but it shouldn't be where you find purpose. It shouldn't be where you find joy or meaning. And that's what I mean about that. So for for those of us that are more liberty-minded, I think there's a reason that we generally are happier. We're not trying to go to a broken system to find value. While I think a lot of other people, when they think that everything is political, that that is the answer, if only we had free college, this, that, the other thing. If only we had the exact system that they wanted, well, that will only lead you to misery because you'll never be able to build the perfect system. Although when you try it, usually through socialism, you have to kill a lot of people. Yeah, uh, just a few though. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, just just like half the universe. Once we get get through a few, it'll be fine. The rest of them will come around. The next one was uh, individual rather than collective. You know, is there ever, uh, you ever feel it's a good time for the collective though? 
It's a great question, right? So I, I have no doubt that you and I agree on individual rights, meaning that Absolutely. every single 100%. person that is a legal citizen in any country should be treated exactly the same under the law. However, are there moments for a collective? Well, it depends what you mean by that. So look, you could you could have an ethnic background or a religious background and have an affinity to a culture. That is a type that, of collectivism. And by the way, saying that I'm proud to be an American, that that is a collective idea. It's it's a it's a Nazi idea. Um, no, but that's a that's a collective idea. But what lays underneath saying I'm proud to be an American means I'm proud of individuality. I am proud right. of, of entrepreneurship, and I'm proud of competition and capitalism and all those things. So it's Around. not to this say, is what we created, right? So it's not to say that collectivism in and of itself is negative. What's negative about collectivism is when it sits on top of your pyramid, your hierarchy pyramid, right? Yeah. When it sits above everything else so that you can just look around and go black person thinks this, white person thinks this, gay person thinks this, straight person thinks this. That's when it's dangerous. When when you have, we all are collectivists in a certain regard. You, you have a certain set of friends sure. probably that you hang out with sometimes, mm-hmm. maybe. And, and the idea is they have some varied hopefully set of ideas that allow you to form a collective as a group of friends and you don't bring in friends who are true bigots or murderers or something like that. So it's not that collectivism at any level doesn't make sense, but it, it should not be the the top of the way you look at the world. Right. So I also uh, noticed that uh, you thanked, uh, in your thank pages, uh, you thanked uh, my man Larry King. And yeah. I was uh, I was wondering uh, what's your relationship. I know you say in the book that uh, he was you know a mentor and a bonus grandfather, but uh, for real? Yeah, Larry King. We met about uh, gosh, it's a long time. Larry's been we met about nine or ten nine or ten years ago when I was still in New York and I had a show on Sirius XM, and eventually having nothing to do with that show or even meeting then. I, when I left the Young Turks, I ended up on Aura TV, which was his digital network. And Larry quickly just, I interviewed him a couple of times. He, he liked what I was doing. He, uh, he's one of the few people that calls me David. Everyone else calls me Dave, but he goes, David, good to see you. That that deep booming voice. And, and really Larry, you know, I I grew up watching, I always loved interview shows and Larry, you know, at eight, nine o'clock, whatever it was on CNN. And what I really always loved about Larry more than anything else was first off, he wasn't trying to get everybody, you know, like now we see every interviewer wants to get you and viral and let's, you know, destroy somebody. But the cool thing about Larry was that when he think about peak Larry King, like 1993, Larry King, right? Like he could have Magic Johnson on Monday, he could have Desmond Tutu on Tuesday, he could have George W. Bush on Wednesday, he and could Angie have, Dickinson on Thursday. Exactly, on Angie hour. Dickinson, and then and then the animal guy, uh, what Jack Hanna on Friday, yeah. and it was like he obviously didn't endorse all of these people's thoughts on everything. He, they obviously all weren't friends. He didn't agree with everyone, and everything, but he was curious about the world. And the cool thing that I can really tell you about Larry is that even now I had him at my house a couple of weeks ago and Larry's, you know, he's about 85 now. And, and, you know, being around someone older, that's been around everyone, it, you, you're going to just through osmosis, get some wisdom. No but the, the coolest yeah. thing I can tell you about Larry truly is that when I've done on air things with him or when I've gone out to lunch with him or whatever, he is literally the bus boy will come up to clean the table if we're at lunch and he will start interviewing the bus boy. He is genuinely 
interested in people. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, he's not faking it, and and I love that. And uh, the fact that somebody, the fact that the guy that I consider the greatest interviewer of all time thinks that I'm halfway decent at this, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. It absolutely, Dave Rubin, David Rubin, uh, living his American <laughs> dream. Uh, his new book, "Don't Burn This Book." What's next for David Rubin? Man, well, uh, you know, launching a book in a pandemic is a strange thing. I suspect I will write another one. I, I really did enjoy the process of this. Um, but I would say more than anything else, you know, as I sort of alluded to earlier, I do want to help usher in a little bit of sanity after this. I want to be one of the voices that when we get through this and people are really going to be hurting, that that helps people sort of uh, reconstitute something close to normalcy. And also because we live in a time right now normal, that... that it's no, it ain't going to be easy. Normal, yeah, it, it ain't. Well, so that's the thing is that there's a silver lining to what you're saying there, because the idea here is that we're all going through something that nobody expected, that none of us can sort of believe is happening right now. Like, it's sort of like yeah. we're living in a dream. But what I think will happen at the end of this, if, if you've got your head on straight and you know what you think and you have some sort of cohesive worldview, well, there's incredible opportunity for the next world that's coming right now, right? Like so many things are gonna be thought of differently. Where we work, what kind of jobs we have. Do you wanna live in a big city or in a rural area? Do you wanna work from home? Are you in the relationship with the right person? Do you wanna go out more? Do, is it worth it now to spend $400 to go to a, an NBA game or is that Are they way? letting me go to the city? Are they, yeah, can I even, if I go to the city, can I even get out of the city? But, but all of those things, those are, those are things that we should all be thinking about right now yeah. because there, yeah. there truly is a new world on the horizon. Yes, and unfortunately, mainstream media, because they keep us all caught in the political machinations of the day, we're not able to think about that stuff. And that's what I'm really more interested in rather than, oh, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi said this and, and uh, Mitch McConnell said that. Oh, dear. They. And it's, and, and Whatever they and said, it ain't good. <laughs> Thank you. Dave Rubin, thanks for joining us on Chewing the Fat, man. I appreciate it. I know uh, I've kept you long enough. you got things to do. Put your clothes back on. Get back to work. <laughs> Jeff, it was a pleasure, and you know, eventually. Wait, are you down in Dallas? Yeah, You're, you are down in Dallas. Yeah. All right. Well, I, you know, I was supposed to for the book. I was supposed to do a, a big studio show at the Blaze, and uh, and then you know, I had some tour stops in in Texas. So eventually, I'll get down there and so we'll be able to. Have so uh, just as a as a uh, as long as I, I've got you here for a second, yeah. I know that you uh, uh, set up some comedy clubs in the past and stuff. So you know, tell me, leave me a joke, make me laugh. That's the worst thing you can ever say to me. I know. I know. What I, what I will say is you have laughed throughout. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a joke. Thanks. See you later. <laughs> Thanks, man.